All right, well, I'm excited today for getting into the Word of God, and uh, we've already been in His presence, so He's still here. And uh, so if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15, we're going to start in Genesis 15. If you weren't here last week, um, boy, man, you missed it. Oh, gosh. Hey, this is, this is why we're praying for Ashley to be released more from the children's ministry every week, is what happened last week. It's called operating in your gifting and calling. And so if you weren't here, I encourage you to get that message. I mean, I got a picture of, of all but three of us at the altar last week at the end, praying for breakthrough and receiving breakthrough in our lives. Um, and so... We had four people saved in the middle of the, the message, so that's awesome. That, and that's, that's her anointing and calling. It really is. And I'm not, I'm not intimidated by it. I, I, I really don't mind. <laughs> I, I want her to do what she's called to do. And I, have, I am not called to be her. I'm called to be me. And so I have to be me. Uh, and so just be reminded of that whenever you see somebody who's operating in their gifting. You're like, man, that's so awesome. Hey, you know what? You be you. You operate in your gifting, and someone else, I guarantee you, when they see what God's doing in your life, they're thinking you're awesome too. They may not say it out loud, you may not hear it, but they're going, there's always somebody else saying, oh man, I, I love that what God's doing in their life. And so, uh, it's, it's so awesome. But if you didn't catch that, I encourage you, uh, I know we, we were going to try to make a few hard copies, and with the busyness of the week, I did not. So, um, if you, can you run those right now, sirs, that make a couple hard co- Oh, do you have CDs? We might make a couple hard copies. I know a couple asked them, and, and I just forgot to do it, so I apologize uh, for that. So, But last week she talked about the fire, the vision that God, has, God gave her many years ago. That She has shared more than once, but we're continuing to press into what, what God is saying because he continues to say that. And the idea of circles, lines, and tents. This is the line right here. This is this is the uh, this is where we stand together and get the orders from God each week. And so we're we're in lines to receive our marching orders. And our circles are when we gather together outside of this building or inside of this building when we connect with one another. It's one of the reasons why we're doing four by fours. Why they're so important. That's like that's going to be like a huge part of the life of the church. Like, if you want to be a part of the life of the church, you have to be in a four-by-four. You know, that's why Wednesday night is another circle. We've got circles, lines, and tents. So our circles are four-by-fours, our Wednesday nights, uh, Thursday morning small group for ladies at my wife's house. And I am considering uh, some way to facilitate uh, getting us guys together on a weekly basis for those that want to come. And so... uh, I'm praying about how early I have to get up so before you people go to work. Um, Bill, Bill, I'm not going to make you, I don't think, sometimes, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Bill sometimes says he gets up at 3 a.m. I'm like, we're going to have to meet Bill uh, in spirit, you know. <laughs> Lord, we p- bless Bill right now. <laughs> Thank you that he's been up for three hours and I haven't. <laughs> so, but 
uh, anyway, we want to we want to get together. And so, I mean, if God stirs your heart to get together with people, hey, you don't need permission. You have permission. So if you want to get together with people, that's that's how the life happens. That's the circle. And we want the fire of God's presence to be in our circles. In other words, when we gather together with one another, we're believing for the fire of God's presence, His power, His holiness, His goodness, His love, His grace, His compassion. That stirs us. It's released. It's transferred to us. And then... And if we, then that's great. But the most important one, and she really talked about it last week, was in our homes. That if we don't have the fire in our, in our homes, in other words, our family, you know, our, our family unit, if, if you're single, that's you. Uh, if you're married, that's you and your spouse. If you're married with kids, that's you, your spouse, and your kids. And if you have other people living in your household, it's just, that's the fire in your home. Okay? And so, it's, it's allowing that to happen. And, I tried to go several different directions uh, with this message because what I do is I, I'm not a v- real visionary guy, but when I see vision, I go, hey, that's God. We need to dig into that more. And so that's, that's my job. That's my calling is we're going to dig into it more. And so I tried to go several different directions until finally last night. I'll be honest with you. Last night I had something totally different that I was planning, and then last night... It was like, bing, the Holy Spirit was like, I finally got through to you, boy. <laughs> so, we're going we're gonna to go through the scripture for the next few weeks, or at least when I'm speaking, and we're going to look at the fire of God's presence throughout the scriptures. Because if we want the fire of God's presence in our homes, we need to know what that is and what that entails, what that means, and what that communicates to us. And so we're going to dig into the scriptures about where God shows up and his presence is a fire, whether that's physically or, or symbolically, however it is. And so the first time that that shows up in the scriptures is in Genesis chapter 15. And it's such an amazing uh, picture. I remember the day in Bible college when I... You know, I'd probably read this scripture before, but when we, we really talked about it and said, here's what really happened right here, and I was like, wow, I don't ever remember that in Sunday school. I don't ever remember hearing that picture. And it's such a cool one, and we probably should hear it growing up as a child, but I probably just didn't catch it. And so this is the first appearance of God with his presence as a fire. So Genesis 15, we're going we're gonna to read the whole chapter because we need the whole the whole enchilada to get the effect here of what's going on. This is in the life of Abram, and this is before he became Abraham. And he is the father of faith in the scripture, and he was called by God in Genesis chapter 12 to leave his family, to leave his his comfort, to leave everything that he had known and go to a land that God would show him because God made a promise to him. And God says, I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll make your name great. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God had a plan to bring Jesus, and Abram was the first man that he called. The whole story of the Bible is pointing to Jesus, by the way. The Old Testament, from from Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, he promises that somebody was going to come. And so everything after that is God working to bring the right one at the right time, at the perfect time, to bring the Savior into the world to restore us into relationship with God. So this is Abram. He's been given a promise from God to have a child, to have descendants, but he still doesn't have one. He's been waiting a very long time. 
In Genesis 15, Holy Spirit, open the scriptures as we read them in Jesus' name. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Genesis 15, 1. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And and Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. In other words, God, you've given me a promise, but nothing has happened to make that happen. So you haven't done anything, God. What's going on? Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And so God, he took him outside. He took Abram outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And so, in other words, you're going to have, there's going to be more descendants from you than you can count. Verse 6, excuse me. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. It's a very important verse because it shows that Abram was saved by faith, not by works. It was still faith in what God had said, in God's promise, in what God was providing, that made Abram right, righteous, right with God. And so, verse 7, God also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, that's the place where he came from, to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, and a goat and a ram, heifer, a cow, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two. So he cut the animals in half. Get the picture in your head right now. It's not clean. It's pretty, pretty messy. And he arranged the halves opposite of each other. So in other words, he kind of split them, and one half on one side, one half on the other. So it's like a pathway through. Um, I lost my point. What verse was I on? Ten. Thank you. Um, the birds, however, he did not cut in half. And so then, interesting here, verse 11, then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. I'll come back to that. As the sun was setting, the end of the day, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. What's he, what's he talking about there? When they go to Egypt, if, if you haven't seen the Ten Commandments, I'm not, I'm, I'm not assuming everybody knows the story. That's why I'm explaining this, because we may not all know. It says that you know, there's going to be a time where your descendants are going to be slaves, but I'm going to bring them out. And it's going to be four, It says in the fourth generation... Um, Verse 16, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In other words, God gave this, this place 400 years to change their ways. You know, God is merciful. You know, people can read the Old Testament and say, oh man, God destroyed those people or God did this or that. He gave these people 400 years to change. They were sacrificing babies and killing them to their gods. You know, sin has a price. God has to stop some things. He says, I've had enough. I have to stop this. 
So when you see all the rest of the, New, the Old Testament where they destroy the people and they take over their land, that's, that's the type of people they were. And God gave them 400 years to change. Verse 17. This is very fascinating. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, look at this, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of all those people, Kenites, Kenizzites, Hittites, Perizzites, Amorites, etc. Okay? Gergeshites, Jeremiahites, whatever. Okay? So, all those things. Did you get that picture where God showed up? You got it? Did you see him there? The presence of God showed up right there. I'd read that story until I was, you know, 20 years old. I'm like, wow, I've never seen that before. So God appears. How does he appear? A smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. It's the first time God's presence appears as fire in the scriptures. Now here's what was happening. Do you have that picture in your head? Can you picture that? Can you imagine that? You just, you got two animals. You're like, I don't want to. You know, animals split open. I mean, it's a wild picture. Somebody just make a painting or something that we won't bring out all the time. But, you know, and then there's this pot that has smoke coming out and it appears out of nowhere. And it's floating in the air. And then there's a torch that appears next to it. It's floating in the air. It wasn't on the ground. They were, and then it says those things moved through the, the, the animals. Don't tell me the Bible is not exciting. That's some exciting stuff that will get some people's attention right there. What is going on? That's why God had to put Abram kind of in a deep sleep where he's kind of like, is this a dream or not? But it was, you know, whether it was a vision or what really, you know, probably was what really happened is what I believe. Uh, some people would, would disagree, but I, I think all the things in the Bible really happen. And so God himself walks through the sacrifice. And so the first appearance of God's presence is about this. It's about covenant. It's about a covenant. Now, what is a covenant? I mean, the only covenant we have today that we make is the covenant of marriage. And some people don't treat it like a covenant. They treat it more like a contract. And it is legally in terms of the state and how our country views it, it's, it's a contract. But in view of God, it's, it's, it's a covenant that, that we're making between one another. And there are, you know, there's no condemnation here. I know some of you have been divorced. We're not about, we're not about that. But that covenant, that's why it's so painful, is it's, it's a broken covenant. It's not just, it's a broken relationship, but it's also a broken covenant. And so a covenant is an agreement between two people where they're going to, you know, honor one another and stick to the agreement of the covenant. Now, there were, they did this back in Abram's time all the time. Every single person that was in, the, in that region, they would have understand exactly what was going on here. Because what they would do is if two people were going to be in a covenant agreement, what they would do is say, okay, we're going to covenant that 
uh, here's my land and here's your land, and we're going to make a covenant where we can both use our lands for water for our animals or, or whatever it may be. Uh, there could be all kinds of different reasons that people would make a covenant together. Or we're going we're gonna to marry each other's families and, and share our wealth in some ways as we intermarry, whatever it may be. And so the people, when they were going to agree on the covenant, the agreement was made by blood. And so they would cut animals in half, and then they would pass, they would walk through together as a sign that they were agreeing to the, uh, to the covenant. And what the point was is, if I break this covenant, may I become like one of these animals? In other words, it was, it was an agreement that had some power, had some weight to it. And it was, it was meant to be, hey, this is agreement of blood. We're, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna wrong you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go behind your back and start cheating you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to this. I'm gonna honor you. I'm gonna honor what I have said I will do to you. In whatever way that would be. Now there are three types of covenants back then. You're getting a little Bible college lesson today, so I hope you, hope you enjoy it. If you don't, you can cover your ears right now. There were three types of covenants. Number one was called a royal grant covenant. Now, a royal grant covenant was this. It was made by a king or a ruler of some sort with somebody else who was not in that same position. In other words, somebody lower than them. And it was basically an unconditional covenant where the ruler or king would give something or give permission to that other person to share in the inheritance or the blessing of that ruler. And so this was a covenant between a person who was way up high and a person who was down low a little bit farther. And so it, generally those, those were unconditional. In other words, it was out of the, the ruler or the king's free will or generosity that they said, I just want to bless you. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you this. And here, we're going to agree on this together, that this is our covenant, that we're going to agree on these rules together about how that's going to play out. So there was that type of covenant. There was also one called the parity covenant. And basically what that was, that was a, a covenant between people who are on the same level. And so it was like two, two, two brothers, not, not literally brothers, two, two people who would be in the same status of their life and who would agree together up upon something, whether it was something to do with their land. A lot of times it was to, to do with the land in those times because that was all that was going on was they were, they were nomadic. That's why it was such a big deal for Abraham to get land. Do you understand that? When, when God promised Abraham land, that was a big deal because nobody owned land. They all just wandered around and moved their flocks from place to place. For you to own land, you had to have an army, you had to have a city, you had to, had to have a place to protect. You know, if not, every, you know, you get run off by the bigger group. And so when God promised that to Abraham, he said, I'm gonna do something supernatural, I'm gonna do something powerful, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you land that you're gonna own and possess, it's gonna be yours. So that was a big deal, by the way. But so that was the other type of covenant. It was just a, you know, people on the same level who made an agreement. And so they would, again, they would, they would cut the covenant with blood. Third type of covenant is this. Don't try to spell this. Sorry. It's the Caesarean vassal covenant. Okay? If you, the Caesarean vassal covenant. This type of covenant was a conditional covenant. It would usually be between one person, again, who was a ruler, who was a higher person with a lower person. But it was conditional. 
if if one person broke the covenant, if one person disobeyed the rules of the contract that they had agreed upon, basically, then it was voided. It was broken. So in other words, it was based on performance of the person. If I made a covenant with Terry, let's say, we'll call Terry the ruler, okay? And if Terry was the ruler and he made a covenant with my family and said, you can... You can use my my wells and you can use my water for your flocks, but you must do this, this, and this. You can you can't take them here. You can't do it on this day. And you know you can. There's a limit to the number you can have. You can only have 20, 20 of those sheep that you can bring and get watered. And so if I show up with twenty two sheep, that point, even though we've made an agreement and cut the covenant in blood because I broke the terms of the covenant. Terry can now say, get off my land and don't ever come back because I broke the covenant. So God here is making a covenant with Abram. It's a picture of the new covenant later that Jesus makes with us as believers in Jesus. What did Jesus say on the night he was betrayed? He said, This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This this covenant here is similar to to the new covenant in that it would fall in the category of the unconditional royal grant covenant. This covenant was not based upon anything Abram did. It was all based upon what God did. God says... God's covenant was this. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to do this for you. And Abram, you're like, what does Abram have to do? Believe it. (laughs) That was Abram's job. Trust that God was speaking the truth. And so Abram would have understand what it meant when God's presence shows up and appears for whatever reason as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch and passes through the middle of the animals that were cut in half, he would have understand that God was saying, I'm agreeing to honor my words. I am gonna, I, this is my covenant with you. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that only God walks through? He doesn't have Abram walk through with him. That's a picture of the new covenant. When Jesus would come in our place and go on the cross for us, he didn't have us go with him. He did it on his own. And so he, he, he walked to the cross on his own, and he was cut. The covenant was cut upon Jesus' body. And so he, he died for our sin, and it's an unconditional thing. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is believe. And so, again, Abram would understand. Only God passes through. In other words, God was saying, I'm going to hold myself to the covenant, and it's not dependent upon you. It's a picture of grace. It's a picture of grace where God says the same thing in Christ. He says, I'm going to send him because I love the world so much. 
and he's going to die for the sin of the world, and I'm going to do it. It didn't matter what human beings were going to do. He says, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to cut the covenant on the body of my own son. And so, the idea of the fire of God's presence being in our home can remind us of our covenant with God. We have a covenant-keeping God who is going to do what he said he will do. He's going to carry out what he says he will do. He has, he has paid for it with his own blood. And so it's a reminder for me that I get to be a part of the new covenant, that I want, I want the new covenant power, the new covenant life, the new covenant grace, the new covenant mercy, the new covenant purity, the new covenant righteousness in my family. And I get that by cultivating and believing that the, the presence of God can be welcome in my home. Is, is he already there? Yeah, we learned that God's, you know, Jehovah Shammah, he's, the, he's there, he's there with us. But he, it's sure a whole lot better when I say, God, you're welcome to do whatever you want. And you know, God may not come down in your home and appear as a torch. In fact, he probably isn't. We Probably because probably it'd freak us out too much, right? I mean, what if you went home right now, and in your living room as you walk in, there's a flaming torch floating in the air. <laughs> First of all, you're going to fall down and go, Oh, God! <laughs> I can't believe that happened. But you know what? If that did happen, whatever sign God gives you, God's saying, I'm keeping my covenant with you. I died for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Everything I've done for you is for your good. And I did it myself. I didn't need your help. You didn't even have to come into agreement with the covenant. Now, I want to let you know this, just for a little bit of uh, background. The covenant that God makes with Moses and the people of God on the mountain a little bit later, and we, yeah, we got time to get there, um, is, is not a royal grant unconditional covenant. The old covenant, the law, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff that relates to that time is called the old covenant, and the sacrificial system was a Caesarean vassal covenant. It was conditional. That's why when Israel, who were the people of God, when they broke the terms of the covenant, that's why God says, okay, I'm going to allow you to be taken into exile because you broke the conditions of the covenant. It's not God who broke the covenant. It's the people. But God says in the book of Hebrews that he had a better covenant. That's why he says, I have to bring Jesus because this covenant is not going to work for all eternity. There's a better covenant, and that's the new covenant, and it's not with the blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews chapter 9, but with the precious blood of Christ, with my own blood. And so how much more will we be saved, not through the blood of bulls and goats or any other sacrifice that they made in those times? Thank the Lord we don't have to do anything like that, but it's through the blood of his Son, the new covenant. And the new covenant is an unconditional one. The only condition is to believe and receive. It's not a, work, a condition of works. It's a condition of receiving a gift and unwrapping a gift. None of us would say it's work to open a gift, right? When you open a gift, I don't count that as work. 
So that's what, that's what believing and receiving salvation and believing and receiving from God is. You're not, it's not that you're, you get to do anything. It's that you get to unwrap what he's got for you. So that's awesome. So let's go to the next one. The next appearance of God as a fire is Exodus chapter 3. So we've got the covenant, and this, this one is going to be Moses and the burning bush. You may be familiar with that. There's been many movies made about that. Exodus chapter 3. Just a few few pages over from Genesis 15. This is the time when God's people have been enslaved. They've been enslaved for 400 years. And the time comes where God begins to hear the cries of his people uh, and says, now's the time. Now's the time where we're going we're gonna to set the slaves free. In verse 1 of chapter 3 of Exodus, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led... Excuse me, he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, which is called the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And so in verse 4 it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So he knew God was talking to him. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and, other Jeb- and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. That was his answer. It's a good answer. Sometimes we need to hear from God when God says, What's going on? What what are you going to give me? And God says, I'm going to be with you. My presence is going to be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. I love this part. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. In other words, God says, here's the sign that it was really me speaking to you. Come back here and do all that I told you to do. (laughs) And then you'll know, hey, that was God. So I'm going to stop there. Moses continues to argue back and forth with God. And he you know, has the staff turn into a, a snake and does, the, does all the, the, the parlor tricks to show you know, uh, Pharaoh later, you know, hey, I can put my hand in. It can be leprous and come out. And then finally, God says, okay, I'll send Aaron with you too. Your, your brother will help you. Uh, but, but what I want to get from this is, is that the fire of God... The presence of God appearing will also lead not just to covenant, but to, to a commission. Moses was given a commission from God. What is a commission? It's a mission that you do with somebody else, a co-mission. God's promise was, I will be with you. In other words, you're not doing this on your own. And what happens later on in this scripture is Moses says, well, when I go tell them that... You're God, who should I say sent me? 
And then God does something amazing for Moses. He reveals his personal name, Yahweh or Jehovah. We still don't know which one it is for sure. We all have our opinions. I can go either way. But he says, I am that I am. But he says, I am, I am the Lord. I am that I am. And he was revealing his personal name. And so whenever I believe whenever God gives a commission to us, that he also reveals who he is. That he also gives a revelation of who he is. Because you need to know who sent you. And so in my home, in my family, in my household, when the fire of God's presence is present, when I am interacting with God, when, my, when the life of God is present there, what happens? God sends me on missions. And it's a commission because he's going to go with us. He's going to give us the power to do it. He's going to lead us into it. But there is a reason and a purpose for your family. There's a reason and a purpose that you live where you live, that you work where you work, that God calls you to go places where you go places, that you have a purpose and a commission, a mission from God. And you can only find out about it as you interact with God. As you have a conversation with him. Isn't it interesting? We can't just think, excuse me, I started to talk one sentence and I went to another one. I do that rather often. Sometimes we hear the statements, you know, well, God's just going to do whatever he does and God does and it's going to happen. Wrong! That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. You're like, what kind of church is this? <laughs> There are some things that God does, and he's just going to do them. He does like unconditional covenants. God says, I'm going to come die for you. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to do it. It's going to be disgrace. There are some things, but not all things. What does it say when Moses, when did God begin to talk to Moses? When he turned and said, I'm going to go check this out. When he went closer to God. When he decided to go deeper with God. When he says, I'm going to see what this side is, and I'm going to, I'm going to check it out and see if this is the real thing. So sometimes we can't just say, well, God's just going to make it happen. It's just going to happen. If, if he wants it to happen, he'll make it happen. No, sometimes he wants us to, to make a step towards him. Sometimes he wants us to see the burning bush, to hear a message like we heard last week and say, I'm going to go check that out. I'm going to get closer to God. I'm going to get into his presence. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign in my life. I'm going to allow God to speak to me like I've never had him speak to me before. When that happens, a lot of times God reveals his commission. He's, he's going to give you marching orders. He's going to give you strategy. He's going to give you things that you're called to do, that you as a family are called to do, that you as a parent are called to do, that you as a husband or a wife are called to do, that you as a person who is single in this moment are called to do. He says, this is the mission that I'm going to go with you in. God says, but you have to do it. God wasn't going to go free the, the people of Israel out of Egypt without Moses. He wasn't going to go without Moses. Somebody had to go. It was a co-mission. There are some things that God calls us to. He says, where you co-labor with God. We're called co-heirs with Christ. We receive the, when we believe in Jesus, we receive the same inheritance that Jesus receives from God the Father, which is still kind of blowing my mind. I don't have that figured out. But can you imagine what God the Father would give his only son? God says, now you get that. So don't ever sell yourself short because God says, if you're a child of God, you have my full inheritance 
fully as a son or daughter of the king. But in that, God gives us a mission. What did Jesus do? The last thing he did on earth, he gave the disciples a commission, a co-mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Teach everybody everything that I've said. Tell them everything. Teach them to obey everything. Baptize them. Baptizing them. And teaching them everything. So there's the discipleship part. I already said that. I'm sorry. But so in other words, we're supposed to be growing. We talked about that last week. We're, we're growing. It's good to have somebody in my life that knows God a little bit better. So I'm challenged to grow. It's also good for me to have someone else in my life that I know God a little bit better than. It's not a comparison thing. It's just reality. You know God a little bit better than them. And you're, they're drawing from you. Because they're like, wow. That's amazing. That's called discipleship right there. Being discipled and discipling. Like that's, that's like one, Christianity 101. If you don't have that in your life, you don't have 101. You don't have the first, one of the first basics. God says, be discipled and you just make disciples. That's what, that's what we're called to do. That was the commission of God. So if you don't, and God, God, when you, when you're asking God, you're getting closer to Him, He's just gonna show you how you do that, cause that's all God is about right now. Bringing people into relationship with Him and discipling them, getting to know God better and better and growing and changing and being changed every day so that you look different than you did last year. So where's the next thing, wait, place that God shows up? We got, we got one more real quick one we'll get to. Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. So if you've got your Bible, you can move over a few more chapters to Exodus 13. This is the next time that God's presence shows up as a fire. So we've got the covenant, we've got the commission. And this is the third one. It says, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, so they've gotten out now. We, we're skipping some of the story. I know. You can go back and read it. Um, God did not lead them on the road to the Philistine country, though that was shorter. So God didn't take them on the short route. You sometimes feel like you're on the long route with the Lord. <laughs> well, he knows best. So uh, sometimes God doesn't take you on the shortcut, okay? For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. In other words, he knows what we're ready for. So sometimes God's just preparing you. He's like, I, I know this road is long, but you need to be ready for what's next. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea, the long way. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt, armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So Joseph's the prophecy is being uh, fulfilled. After leaving Succoth, they camped it. Ethan on the edge of the desert, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud. So there was a huge cloud that somehow looked like a pillar. Smoking, yeah, all kinds of, all, gigantic. Don't think just like a little thing. This, is, this was huge. To, to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither p the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. What's happening here? Direction. When you cultivate the fire of God's presence in your family, God will give you direction. 
He will lead you. He will show you the way. He will, he will make the way for you. Uh, it may not be the way you would have gone. It, wasn't, it may not be the short way, but it's going to be the right way. It's going to be the good way. It's going to be the way that prepares you for the battles that you must face next. Who, do, who wants to go to battle before you're ready? Not me. <laughs> so that's, that's the trust factor we have with the Lord, where sometimes we're like, God, why, are, why am I, why am I doing... Why is my life like this right now? And God's like, look, if you knew the battle you were going to face next, you would be thanking me that you're not there more quickly than you are. (laughs) I'm preparing you so that when you get there, you win. Because it's a commission, and I'm leading you. I'm giving you direction. But the pillar of fire also did another thing. It's very interesting in chapter 14. If you go to chapter 14, go down to verse 10. What happens? Pharaoh changes his mind. Hello, I need slaves. Um, I need people to do work for free and that people that I can treat badly and build me the pyramids and all the other stuff that he had them do, whatever it was that they did. And so, I mean, there's almost a million people that went out of their country. Uh, that's, you know, imagine if a million people left, you know, Houston and said, we're not going to do all this stuff. You know, people that worked at jobs, they were, Houston would be in trouble. Houston, we have a problem. Uh, so... Egypt, we have a problem. That's what Pharaoh said. So Pharaoh says, get all the, get all the army. We're going to go after them, even though they'd already seen that God was protecting this people, the people of God. So verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. You know, sometimes we give them a bad name, the Israelites, the people of God. But on this one, I want to give them a pass. I mean, they just got out of slavery. Now, when they've been in the desert for a while and seen God's provisions, like, hello, quit complaining. But right here, I'm going to give you, you know what? Sometimes when something shows up in your life, you're just afraid. You're just terrified. It's what you do with the fear that matters. It's not that the fear shows up. Fear may come, but what do I do with it? What is my response? And so they didn't have the best response. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? How could you get us out of slavery where we've been tortured and working, you know, long hours and our children were dying and, you know, how could you get us out of that? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So again, what does fear do to us? It makes reality distorted. Whenever you're looking at life through fear, you're going to see it the wrong way. Was it better to be a slave? No, absolutely not. It was horrific. I mean, they were basically saying, take me back to a horrific life. For me, I'm like, just kill me. I don't want that. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Whenever you're afraid, maybe go back and read this. This is one of those good verses to read. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? (laughs) Tell the Israelites to move on. In other words, keep going. Sometimes when you have fear in your life, the best thing you can do, keep going where God told you to go last. Don't, don't stop. 
Tell the Israelites to move on. And now raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go through after you, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. In other words, they're not going to make it. They're going to die. Verse 19, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, that was called the angel of the Lord, which uh, that's God himself. The word angel there is like messenger as well. Uh, and so... This is God himself, who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood, stood, behind, stood behind them. So God, the, the pillar of cloud goes in the back. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. I mean, isn't that amazing right there? So also, the presence of God was not just direction, but protection. It says he went behind them. So when you cultivate the presence of God in your home, then, then sometimes God goes and says, I'm going to get behind you, and I'm going to take care of what's coming after your family. I'm going to take care of what's coming after your children. I'm, you know, it, you know there, I'm, going to, I'm going to do something supernatural. Sometimes it doesn't look the way we want it to look. It doesn't take the time we want it to take. But I believe as we put God first in our home that he is faithful to protect and to, to move himself and to move if possible. You know, if he wants to, he can move angels. He can move himself. He can, he can have fire show up. And so, you know, it was interesting that the Egyptians, it looks like where they were placed into darkness and the people of God had the light. Isn't that interesting right there? Here's the other thing I was thinking on this. This is just totally free thought. If I'm one of those Egyptian soldiers, I'm checking out of the army at this point right then. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a deserter. I'm serious. <laughs> I mean, I, I know they, I mean, you're like, I either die this way or I die this way. So I don't know. Maybe there's a shot I can escape Pharaoh. I don't know. I mean, remember the, all, the, all the Egyptians... They had seen all the plagues and the miracles God had done. And when the people of God left, you know what they did? They said, please go. Just get the, help this stuff to stop. We're just going to give you money and clothes and treasure. Get out of here. <laughs> so I'm thinking, if I'm in that army, those guys are pretty nervous too. Because like this huge pillar of cloud and fire or whatever it was on their side, you know, and then they're all in darkness. And they can't go, and then that thing lifts up, and then you see that the, the Israelites are on the other side of, of the sea, and it's, it's split in half in the middle. Look, I'm going home right there. <laughs> I'm out. Okay? And I, it doesn't say if any of them went out, but it says after that what happened. You know, they, they followed the orders of their commander, Pharaoh, and the entire army was destroyed that day because once they got in, they got stuck, and then the waters... The people of God went through and the waters came down. And so, you know, that's, that's what it looks like when the enemy comes in against us. God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come against the enemy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bring glory to myself through the destruction of the enemy. But again, it's where I'm going. I'm following the direction of the Lord. And so I've got direction and protection. So those are the, those are the four, four things to think about and to cultivate when we're cultivating 
God's presence in our home, we're saying, God, you're first. I'm, I want my home to be whole. I want my home to be uh, a home where the, the presence of God is just dwelling there in a powerful way. You know, we've, I'm reminded of the covenant. I need to be ready for my commission. I need, he's going to give me the direction. And then he's going to give me the protection. Every single time, what does he say all the, to Moses, to the people of God? Even on the great commission in Matthew 28, before he leaves the disciples, what does he say? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. It's a good promise to hold on to. Amen? So, Father, we just thank you for this enlightenment from your word. And we are thankful that you have cut the covenant, the new covenant with us, and that we dwell in grace, not because of what you've done, but because not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done, Lord. And we thank you for Jesus, Father that he was, he was cut and he was bruised and he was whipped and he was crucified and he bled so that I could be forgiven. And so I choose to follow you, God. How could we not follow you, Lord? We're so loved. And so we want to be reminded of the covenant that we have with you, God, and we can rejoice and receive the benefits of that covenant, Lord. And we want to follow you, Lord. We want to join and co-labor with you and be on the co-mission with you of what you're doing in our world. Lord, there's so many things that we can do that we didn't know we could do without you. And so we thank you for those miracles being released through families and through through couples and through singles, Lord, through households, Lord, that we will see ourselves differently, that we are we are people on a mission because you've given us a commission and we have your presence and your power with us. You're going to lead us. You're going to give us direction. We can believe that we're not going to be wandering around in darkness. We're not going to be in confusion. God, we're going to have clarity. We're going to have vision. And we're going to know what you're saying to us, God. And so we thank you for that, for your protection as well. As we step into the darkness, God, as we bring the light, Lord, you're faithful to be with us. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So be blessed. If you need prayer for anything, please don't leave. Thank you for everybody that helped with Family Promise. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, everybody that helped, we made it through uh, another week, and really what a successful week. There's a sign on the back on the, uh, on the sound booth. One of the, one of the families, uh, new families, just left us a thank you note. It's a big thank you on their, on their car, so it's just a real blessing. So thank you again, and uh, blessings be upon your home. And sign up for the 4x4s if you haven't. Sign up. Then into